Amen. All right. Hey, new series here at Compass. Only two weeks, because that's just as long as we have here until we get into our new building. Easter's coming. It's going to be great. Can't wait. But between now and then, we have a new series called God at Work. And God at work, meaning this, that as we are in working in our own lives and as we go to work in our own lives, God has a purpose. And so many of us, uh, I hope, aren't these people, but in culture, it is normative to keep God at church uh, and not take him to work, to keep God at church and not take him into our homes, which is what the entire last series was about, is how God should be evident in my home and everything in my home should revolve around God. Now we're moving into our workplace, that God's design is that our workplace also revolves around him. And so we're going to learn this morning, my prayer is that we understand and learn how to have a biblical work ethic. Because wouldn't you guys agree with me? Sometimes it's hard to see God's plan in our day-to-day work, isn't it? Sometimes it's monotonous. Sometimes it's difficult. As a matter of fact, one summer in 2017, I was doing a resident ministry program up in Arkansas, and while I was there, uh, this church was building a a new facility, which is great, because we're doing the kind of the same thing. We're going to move in in a couple weeks, so there's really uh, a great thing, Uh, and like any good church, they want everyone to pray uh, for all the permitting and all the construction and all the things that go with building a facility, Uh, but the expression in which they decided to use to give people a reminder to pray was filling 5,000 little mason jars with the dirt uh, from the facility they were planning or they were building a church on. And so guess who was uh, tasked with the job to fill 5,000 little jars full of dirt so people would be reminded to pray? Me and a small cohort of my resident pals. And so uh, I literally had 5,000 reasons to complain about my job. And I think I complained about 2,000 of them, for sure. Uh, But I recognize that although there's many ways to get people to pray for uh, a a building and a project, uh, this was the way that the pastor and the leadership there said, hey, we just want to give everyone a piece of the ground that they're going to be doing ministry on for decades, and we want them to take it home and pray for it. Isn't that a great idea? It is, until you're the one having to put the dirt in the jar, okay? (laughs) All right. Now what if I said, by the way, you, right after service, are going to go fill 5,000 jars worth of dirt. You would say, not a good idea anymore. No. Uh, But that's a bad attitude. That's the wrong attitude to have, isn't it? Uh, Because as a matter of fact, what I had to do is understand that I had to trust in God's sovereignty in such a way that whether I was putting a dirt in a jar or working at the palace of Caesar, that God had a plan in the work that I had to do. And so we have to recognize as Christians and trust that God's plan in our work is to glorify him and to see souls saved. And so we need to, as we frame a biblical work ethic, always begin and understand that God's got a plan in our work. And you may be in a transition, you may be at a place you don't want, you may be at a place where you're making the most money you've ever made in your life, and it doesn't matter where you're at on that spectrum, God has a plan for the way that you work in the attitude in which you work, and for you to have a biblical work ethic. That is, a work ethic is your, your understanding and the way that you go to work, the way you think about work, and it needs to be a biblical work ethic, which means we got to go to Scripture and see, what does God say about work and how I should go to work? And one of the fundamental truths of Scripture is that God rewards His 
faithful servants here, right? We understand that as Christians, that God rewards uh, his children, his servants. And that should undergird really our whole understanding of a godly work ethic, because we understand this biblically, that knowing that your earthly faithfulness to God produces rewards in eternity should empower you to embrace your work in every situation. We have to start there, and we're going we're gonna to look at what God's word has to say about that, but we have to start by understanding I'm not working for myself. I'm not working to make money. I'm working because I'm investing in the rewards that God has for me in eternity. He has an inheritance awaiting for all those who believe. He has rewards for those who have been good stewards of the work that God has given them. And so therefore we work knowing that we have a father in heaven who's going to reward people uh, concerning their faithfulness to the work that God has put them. Now, that's important because if we live life with an unbiblical work ethic, right? So there's your biblical work ethic and your reasoning for it. Uh, an unbiblical work ethic is going to do a couple of things. Okay, Number one, it's going to make your life miserable here because you're going to go to work. You're going to, be, you're going to carry jobs for a short amount of time because you've made a mess of it. Your bosses don't like you. Your coworkers don't like you. An unbiblical work ethic is going to cause problems in the here and now. Uh, but what it's also going to do is cause uh, a lot of consternation in your life in eternity uh, not because you're going to live grumpy in heaven. I hope no one's going no to live grumpy in heaven. Uh, but there is going to be a sense of missing out in this sense. That God has given you your whole life here to steward for his glory right, and for your good. And he's asking you to, to uh, invest in eternity. We're going to talk about that. But when we don't and we're in heaven and we recognize, wow, I really wasted my whole life on earth uh, for my own good, not recognizing that God had a whole plan for my work and I never even understood it. And so we've got to understand that an unbiblical work ethic harms the here and now, but also is detrimental to our eternity when it comes to what God desires for all of his children. So we're going to jump in this morning understanding and trying to learn about a biblical work ethic. And so if you haven't already, I want to turn you to Colossians 3. Uh, we'll be in verses 22 through 24. Paul is now introducing a new character that is a new topic. We're talking about faithfulness. We were talking about faithfulness in the home uh, over the last few weeks, and now we're going to enter into faithfulness in our work. And so where do we start when it comes to forming a biblical work ethic? Where are we going to start? Well, I want, to, I want you to start in verse 24, because I believe if we understand verse 24 in its right picture, we're going to go to work differently tomorrow. We're going to go to sleep tonight. We're going to get rested up, and we're going to go to work with a, with a purpose. So look at verse 24, Colossians 3, verse 24. It says this, that we're gonna, we know that from the Lord you're going to receive the inheritance as your reward. So we understand that as Christians, uh, there is a reward awaiting Christians. Amen? Isn't that great? Right? That you and I uh, are going to be rewarded by God. Now, that's not the first time in Colossians that uh, Paul has even spoken about a reward. As a matter of fact, in chapter 1, verse 12, which is at the beginning of the letter, uh, Paul states that you have this inheritance uh, that you have been qualified for because of God, that God has qualified you for an inheritance. Isn't that great? That Nothing you could work for to get that inheritance, nothing you can do to uh, receive the inheritance. It's a gift from God, and God has qualified you. There's nothing you can do to qualify yourself uh, for that. God has done it. Okay, So we have this reward that God has qualified us for, uh, and then we see the picture again that knowing that from the Lord, because of our work, we're going to receive an inheritance. You're like, what does all that mean? You just told me that we can't qualify for it, but then I've got to do something to, to qualify for it? Great. You do understand now we have to paint a biblical picture of what all this means. Great. 
there is an inheritance of salvation given to all Christians. Isn't that the great thing? Like all Christians, every single one who has turned from their sins and trusted in Christ are going to receive an inheritance. Why? Because they're heirs and children of God. And so God the Father is going to give his children the inheritance. Just like any great family and parents who have means wouldn't give their children an inheritance. That's what loving families would do, right? Okay, but we also have to understand that there is a quantitative reward of varying measures given that is dependent on individual faithfulness. Right? There is a reward that everyone's going to get, and there is also a quantitative reward of varying measures given that is dependent on the individual faithfulness. Okay? Uh, and maybe that's news for you. Maybe that's the first time you're like, I've never, I've never heard that before. Well, it may be news to you, but this statement isn't news to the Bible. Right? This statement isn't news to Scripture because Scripture teaches the principle. It teaches it explicitly over and over again. And the statement isn't new to church history. And the early church fathers, all the people through church history, understood uh, the, uh, the understanding that there's going to be inheritance to all Christians, but there's also rewards that God blesses with those who have been obedient to the stewardship that he has given to them here on earth. It really informs a biblical work ethic now, doesn't it? All right? uh, and that's why we need to do this. It's point number one on your outline. You need to invest in your eternity. Point number one is that you need to invest in your eternity. And some of us are like, wow, this is mind-blowing. Well, it is, but even a worldly principle. Uh, I once heard a pastor say it this way. Uh, when it comes to here on earth, we're capitalists, aren't we? Like most of us are like, oh, we're capitalists. But when it comes to your idea of heaven, you're a communist, right? You understand what that means. Like you think you, everyone in heaven gets the same thing, right? And we all, all get the same thing. Don't you dare tell me we're not all getting the same thing. But here you're like, absolutely not. No, we work for it. You know, it's like we, we invest. Like this is you know, free market economy, right? Like practically speaking, I mean, that's how you think. And there's a problem in that, and not that we're trying to make uh, earthly economy up in a heavenly economy. But the point is this. The real reason that you want to be a heavenly communist is because you have none of your life and none of your heart invested in the things of eternity. So the best hope for you is that we're communists in heaven so that everyone does get the same thing so you don't miss out. And what I'm saying is the Bible, I shouldn't say what I'm saying, what the Bible teaches is something completely different. Of course, we're all going to get there. We're all going to be, it's going to be amazing. We're going to enjoy it. I mean, it's going to be just absolute eternal bliss, okay? But there is going to be a sense of missing out when you're there because you did not, as a faithful steward, invest here on earth for eternity. Can I show you a couple of scriptures that prove it? Let me flip you to Matthew 6. Flip your Bible or your phone or your tablet, all the things in the world that have your Bible on it now. Matthew 6, starting in verse 19. Matthew 6, 19, this is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount as he's preaching to the crowd. And this is what he says. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Okay, already, there it is. Our job and our goal as Christians is not laying up our treasures here on earth, which is what many people want to do, right? I mean, we're capitalists, all right? We need, we're going to use our money, we're going to invest it, we're going to get more of it, we're going to pile it up, we're going to pile it up, and we're going to save it away for another day, right? And that's our idea. We're going to do that, uh, and that's, that's the way we function here on earth. But here's a problem for people who store their treasures here on earth, right? Moth and rust are going to destroy, and thieves are going to break in and steal. So we already recognize there's a problem here. As a matter of fact, that's why you buy insurance. That's why you put locks on things. That's why you, do, that's why you repaint your things with Rust-Oleum paint. You just, you're trying to keep things from decaying and ruining because you know that is just the state of the world we live in. Everything is decaying. Everything is perishing. Everything is fleeting. Okay, so we already see, okay, invest here. Sure, I mean, great principle, invest here. Uh, but if your treasure is here, 
you recognize moth and rust are going to destroy and thieves are going to break in and steal. Verse 20. But here's what we need to do. We need to lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. So again, we already had this phrase twice, lay up and lay up. Well, lay up was this idea there in, in the first century culture that you had grain and you had produce and you, you harvested it and then you took it and you stored it away. You laid it up for another day because you need to eat for a year and two and not just tonight. And so you would lay up for yourselves things and store it away and invest but instead, in verse 20, it says we need to lay up and store away ourselves, yourselves, each of us, treasure in heaven. So here's a concept already where there's an investment that needs to be made. Like There is a biblical principle out of the mouth of Christ that says, hey, just turning from your sins and trusting in Christ is not the full picture of what God has awaiting people in heaven. Right? You are going to get an inheritance because you're a child of God. But how you have invested God's stewardship that he's given you here also determines another reward that you're going to get that is varying depending on our faithfulness to him in earthly things. This is good news for faithful Christians, isn't it? Good news. And here's, it keeps going, and it says, the good thing about laying up and storing treasure in heaven is moth isn't going to destroy it, rust isn't going to destroy it, and thieves can't break in and steal it. As a matter of fact, Scripture teaches that, that the, the, what God has for us in heaven is protected by Him, uh, and it's waiting for us. So I know it's not going anywhere. The stock market's not going to mess with it. Uh, war is not going to mess with it. <laughs> My kids aren't going to mess with it, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it's there, and it's, it's protected by God. And, and here's the, the important principle. In verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, one of our biggest problems when it comes to this idea of saying, yeah, I believe that we can invest in eternity, uh, is the fact your heart isn't there, right? I mean, your heart, your mind, like your thoughts aren't on heavenly things. Your mind is on earthly things. And, and for us to be put face to face with this idea that we shouldn't be storing up treasure here, we should be storing it there, uh, is a heart check, it pricks our heart because we say, well, you know, I do have a retirement and I have, you know, I've been investing in Social Security. You know, I've been investing in stocks. You know, I've, I've been doing all these things and we bought a home and we sold homes and we bought homes. And I just have all this nest egg right here that I've been investing here because this is where my heart is. My heart is in the here and now. My heart is like, what can happen in the next 20 or 30 years? Uh, and you're trying to think long term, but you're not thinking long term enough. Right? You think thinking from here to your retirement is long term, and I'm trying to say eternity is a lot longer than that. Right? We should be investing in eternity. And that has a lot of implications for us. Uh, I want you to jot down another scripture just to, just to give you a little bit more, uh, a little bit more uh, biblical context of this idea of investing. And it's Matthew 19, 27, Matthew 19, 27 through 30. Go ahead and jot that down. Matthew 19, 27 through 30. And here we have Peter, the apostle. And this is what he says in verse 27. Uh, he says, see, Jesus, we have left everything and we followed you. What then will we have? It's probably a self-serving question, but a valid question, right? It's a valid question to God. If I follow you, wh what, is, what does that do for me? If I follow you, what good is it? And this, this is what Jesus says. Truly, I say to you, in the new world, that is in the kingdom to come, that Christ is going to usher in, and we know that because it says when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, because the idea of Son of Man is the most common name used for Jesus in the New, in the new Testament. Actually, it's his, number one, uh, it's his number one choice for how to describe himself as the Son of Man. Why? Because when you go to Daniel 7, it talks about the Son of Man being the one who's going to usher in the kingdom of God. And so here, when he's saying this, in no uncertain terms, he's saying, 
when I come and usher in the new kingdom, this new world that's coming, when I come and I rule over it uh, and I create a new heavens and a new earth after my millennial kingdom, when I come and everything is in subjection under to me, uh, I'm going to sit on my glorious throne. And you who have followed me will sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, we're not the apostles, right? We're not the, we're not, we're not the apostles. We're not, probably not the ones sitting on the 12 tribes judging Israel, but the 12 apostles will. So we at least get that far, right? There is reward for the apostles who followed Christ. But it doesn't stop there, does it? Verse 29. And everyone, did you read that? And everyone, so there's now everyone else. This is you apostles. But for everyone else who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Okay, remember this dichotomy that we just talked about, right? This idea that we're all going to get an inheritance, right? All those who are in Christ, but there's also going to be a reward. Well, here's the principle in no uncertain terms, once again, right? Those, those people who have been faithful to what I've called them to, people who haven't invested here on earth, people who left their homes, Right? People who said, you know, my family's important, but God's more important. Right? Brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and children or lands. I, I've got rid of my land. I've got, basically, I've, I've, everything I've set aside to follow you. He says, for these people who have done these things for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Did you see that? And inherit eternal life. The idea is that we have two principles here. I'm going to receive and inherit eternal life. That, that goes to all people. Right? And what I'm saying is then you are blessed as a believer who says, I'm going to live for the Lord. I'm going to work for the Lord. And all the stewardship that he has given me, I'm going to go invest it in eternity. There, you will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Is this a, is this a prosperity gospel? No. Because I'm telling you, you're, not, it's not, you're going to get this here. You're not going to invest $100 and next week $200 is going to be walking down the sidewalk and introduce itself to you and jump in your wallet. That's not what this is about. This is about you recognizing that, that God, our Father, says, I, I, all my children are getting an inheritance, every one of them. But I have called all of them also to faithfulness. And I've called every single one of them not to just turn from their sins and trust in Christ and sit down until I come back. I have given them things to invest. I have given them a, a job to go work for me. And the ones who will do that, my children who will do that, I am going to reward them. All my children, you're all going. You're all going to heaven. Right? Every one of my children who have turned from their sins and trusted in Christ are going to heaven. And I want every single one of my children also to invest what I've given them. And for the ones who do, you're going to be rewarded. There's another, there's another verse you'll jump into. When you get into your life group this week, you'll jump into another verse, I believe in 1 Corinthians, that will uh, paint that picture of you before uh, the judgment seat of Christ, uh, which will tell you the exact same picture. You can invest in precious jewels, or you can invest with wood and straw, and they're going to all be thrown into the fire, and what comes out is what's left is your reward. And all I'm encouraging you to do is invest with the precious things in life, and don't invest in straw and wood because one's going to be burned, the other one's going to be left over, and you inherit that with your inheritance. And that, that should be enough for us to at least say, my work matters. What I do for the Lord matters. When I wake up and I go to my job, it matters because it matters to God, and so it matters to me. And so this is what I'm going to do, at least a couple of things. There's a, I mean, the implications for this are, are massive, but at least I can say this. I'm going to overlook short-term losses for long-term gains. We can at least say that, correct? Like, if I am looking for eternity, if, if where my treasure is, there my heart is, if my heart's in heaven and my treasure's up there, I recognize there are some things here and now that I'm not going to get, right? I recognize there are some things here and now that I'm going to have to either wait longer for or not get it at all, 
right? Uh, for one instance, when, when you're giving to God's church, because you're going to give to God's church, right? That's called faithfulness, right? When you're giving to God's church, and at the end of the year, you can look at your statement, and you can be one or two people. You can be one person who says, uh, man, I could have bought a new car with that. Or you could be somebody who says, I could have gone on vacation with that. Or you can be the person who says, glory be to God that I could have used that for myself in the here and now, but God, you are using that to invest this in the souls and the lives of it for eternity, right? One or two people here. And one of those has their heart set on earthly things, and the other one has their heart set on eternal things. And we have to make sure that at least in our lives, at least we can agree to say, I don't mind losing out right now to invest in eternal things. I don't mind saying no to some things here so I can say yes to things that are eternal. And then secondly, what I have to do is be vigilant because I need to look for what God is investing in and invest in that. I actually put it this way. Uh, look for the people God is investing in or uh, how to actually, exactly how to put it. What is God investing his people in? Invest in that. That's right. Whatever God is investing his people in, invest in that thing. Because what is God's most precious resource? Souls, right? We would all agree with that. God's most precious resource is souls. And so what you should be doing, especially if you're looking to be a part of a biblical church, a Bible teaching church who trusts in Scripture, uh, trusts in the, uh, the salvation of Christ as the only means to salvation, what you want to do is say, what is God doing in the lives of those people? What are they moving towards? What are they investing in as far as reaching people and teaching people and training people? And then go invest in that. Because you know that whatever God's investing his most precious resources in, that's worth investing in. That's going to have a great return on its investment. So I'm going to make sure that I look around, and this is what I've done a million times, and I hope you do this. Like, look around and say, what is God doing with his people? That's what I need to go be doing. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about your efforts. I'm not talking about your money, but I'm talking about the other things. Like, we've got to ask ourselves, what is God doing? Because what we don't want to find ourselves doing is things that God had no desire to be meddling in, and then we spend our whole life saying, God, look what I did over here. And he's like, I, wasn't even, I don't even have any care for that. I cared about souls being saved and disciples being made, and you were over here building your own kingdom. He's like, I had a whole kingdom I was building over here, and I asked you to come be a part of it, and you were building your own. Right? Because you would do that to your children, wouldn't you? And you would say, that's not, that's not where we're going. We're going over here. We have a, I have a will, and I have a desire for you, and I want you to follow it. And I want your work to be about that. I want what you do to be all about that. You see, investing in eternity has a lot of implications, uh, and one of the implications that is immediate is how you're going to wake up tomorrow and go to work now. I mean, understanding this, this idea that I'm going to invest in eternity, should even change how you get up in the morning. Like, when you set your alarm tonight, your whole mind should be changed to say, I'm going to get up tomorrow, and i got a whole new understanding of a biblical work ethic. Uh, and if you need some more proof, look at verse 22. Look at verse 22. The second part of verse 22 says this, that we need to obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. That is this, that I have an obligation to fulfill the duties of my job, right? And we at least, I mean, you at least, I think we can all agree on this. I get it. I have a job description. I have duties, and I got to do them, okay? It's one thing that you do them, right? It's one thing that you do the minimum requirement that you have in your job. It's a whole other thing to do it in a way that glorifies God, because this is what he follows up. Just right after that, he says this, right? But here's how I want you to do it, or at least here's how I don't want you to do it. I want you to fulfill all the obligations in your duties at work, but not by way of eye service. You know these people who kind of like agree with their eyes and their face, but they don't in their mind, right? Uh, that is like I'm agreeing on the outside, but I'm protesting on the inside, right? I mean, this idea that, yeah, I may look like I want to do this, but I don't. 
and inside I don't care anything about this job. I don't care anything about what you're asking me to do. And if I had my choice, I wouldn't be here today. The Bible is literally saying, do what you're asked to do and don't be that person. Right? Who says, I'd rather be somewhere else? No, you would rather be right where God has you, right where God is using you. That's where I want to be. And I don't want to do it just by eye service. And again, the next one says, I also don't want to be a people pleaser. I don't want to do this as a people pleaser. Now, I think in our culture, we have somehow taken this word and made it a positive thing. Like, I just care about pleasing people too much. I just, I want people, I just, I want to please people. No, you don't. You don't want to please people. Uh, and here's what I mean. Because when you're a people pleaser, uh, what, you're, what you're really saying is, uh, I'm doing things so that people see me the way I want them to see me. Right? I can't say no to people because I don't like conflict. I don't want to say no to people because there's this projection that I want to get off. And if, uh, if they don't like me, then I, that's, just, that's, that's my identity. What they think about me is my identity. See, being a people pleaser isn't a good thing. That's your way of being about yourself. That's your way of trying to make people look at you a certain way that may not even be true and accurate at all. And so for me, I'm not going to be a, a person who agrees on the outside but disagrees on the inside. And I'm not going to be a person... Uh, that is trying to make people look at me a certain way to make me feel better about myself. As a matter of fact, the problem with being people pleasers uh, is that my biblical principles take a back seat to the people I'm around, right? Uh, when you're a person of principle, of biblical principle, okay, it doesn't matter who you're around. It doesn't matter if it's your friends, it's the president, it's the, you know, the king of, of wherever. Your biblical principles always lead you to what, exactly what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. But a people pleaser is someone that says, well, I'm going I'm to dial back my principles depending on the people I'm around. If, if I'm around this group, uh, if, I'm, if I'm at church, I'm going to dial that principle meter way up because everybody here, they know. They know what I'm doing. I, I got I to put it on. I got to put on that show that I need to because look at all these people in here. They have my biblical principles. But when I go to work, I, I dial it back because, you know, they just won't understand, right? They, don't, they won't understand if I, if, I'm, if I have these biblical principles. So I kinda, I'm a chameleon, really. What my goal is as a people pleaser is to fit in. I want to fit in. I don't want to stand out. I want to blend in. Uh, and if I do that, my life is going to work out. And it's like, that is not what God calls us to do as working believers. Like our job is not to do things by eye service, not to be people pleasers. Our goal is to do something completely different. Because our biblical work ethic is the complete opposite of this. And I want to show you. Look at the next phrase in verse 22. Right? I'm not going to be a people pleaser. But I'm going to do this. I'm going to work with sincerity of heart. You see that, that word sincerity in the Greek? It's, just, it's this picture that I'm pouring it all out. That I'm literally going to work and I'm going to pour it out. I'm pouring my heart out on whatever I'm doing. So if I'm packing 5,000 jars full of dirt, I'm going to be the best dirt packer you've ever met in your whole life. And then people are going to look at me and think, wow, why are you doing that? Right, and I may get made fun of, and people may giggle, and you know I may not make my best. My, I may not be in the cool kid corner on the side because you know they're trying to be a, a rebellious. And but at the end of the day, I'm doing what the Bible teaches me to do in my stewardship. What God has placed me to do, I'm going to go. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it with sincerity of heart. I'm not going to. I'm not going to make my boss think I like him when I really don't like him. Uh, obviously, I'm going to repent for not like him and to recognize that everybody's made in God's image and the reason you don't like your boss is because you don't like authority. So you should return from that, repent from the fact you don't like authority, and go love your boss. Okay, you see what I'm saying here? All right, good. Uh, sincerity of heart. I'm going to pour it all out. And you may ask, well, what, am I gonna, what do I pour out my, my heart to? What, what jobs, what particular areas do I, do I pour out to? Well, 
go to verse 23. Verse 23 tells me, uh, here's, here's your parameters of what kind of work that, uh, that you need to pour your whole life out on. And it says, whatever you want to do. Is that what it says? That isn't what it's good, good. All right, good Bible readers. Okay, whatever you do, whatever you, it qualifies by saying it don't matter. It doesn't matter if you're filling up dirt. It doesn't matter if you're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. It doesn't matter what you are, whatever you're doing, right? Whatever you're doing in the here and now, that's what you pour out your life into, okay? Maybe you're one of those people that's like, well, I'm in between or I'm at the end of a job, uh, and so I got a couple weeks left, so I'm just trying to ride low for a little while until I can transition. Uh, that's, that may be uh, your personal view, but that's not a biblical view, right? I mean, whatever you're at tomorrow, when you get up and you go to work tomorrow, whatever you're doing right then, regardless if you plan on being there next month, is your job and it's your stewardship from God, and God is trying to produce something through your biblical work ethic in that workplace. And you've got to get up and understand that you know that your job is purposeful. And I've got to understand that whatever I do doesn't just include my favorite part of my job. We all have favorite parts of our job, don't we? Just those parts that were like, I love doing this, I hate doing that. Right? And sometimes we give everything we have to this area, but we don't give it to this area, partially in hopes that they'll take that area away because I'm terrible. And then basically I become, I just do everything I want to do and nothing I don't want to do. Not a biblical work ethic, right? Not even, not even a godly sentiment. I mean, that's like, it's like Christ. It's like, you know what Christ, uh, you know what was very painful for Christ? Uh, to die for your sin, to take your place. Something you were supposed to do and he did it for you, right? He didn't say, well, you know, I don't want to do that part. I like this whole rule over the universe thing, okay? But this whole like die for other people, not my thing, okay? No, no, no. Right. He didn't count equality with God, something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He poured himself out at the task that he had to do, and it was for the good of the world. And all I'm saying is maybe you're not going to pour out your soul uh, for all the people who ever turned from their sins and trust in Christ, but when you do pour out your soul at work, you have an opportunity to give a solid biblical gospel response to all the things that are going on at work and in their lives. When you are a faithful worker in the workplace, people are going to want to know more about why you do what you do. And we're going to do what we do uh, because we're going to work heartily. And that's, that's the last phrase there in verse 23. Right? I'm going to work heartily because there's a purpose for my job. And it's not to make, it's not to make ends meet, which it is, right? You need to work. You need to, you need to make money. You need to take care of your home. It's all biblical principles. But I'm working heartily, and I'm, I'm doing something for a purpose. And the purpose is to please God. That word, work heartily is the Greek word for psyche. Now, there's a problem in, in Greek, and the problem is not the Greek, it's the English, right? Because uh, you already see this word heart twice, sincerity of heart. Well, that heart is the word cardia, that is your heart. I mean, you know, cardiac, cardia. Uh, but the word heartily, it's, it's a different word. It's not cardia at all. It's the word psyche. Uh, and you know that, psychology. But it's, you know, it's not this idea of my, my brain. It's the idea of my soul. The Greek word is saying, it's talking about my soul, and it's saying that you need to work to pour out your entire soul into it. The way that you work is pouring your soul into your work. Now, I'm not, listen, for the, two percent, for the half a percent of people in here who are workaholics, I'm saying you need to make sure you steward this in uh, right order that we've talked about over the last seven weeks, right? Uh, you got a husband and a wife. You have, well, let's go before that. You have the Lord, right, that you need to submit your life to. You have a husband and a wife and a kid, and work is the fourth thing we're talking about here, okay? All of these have their place, but they have their place in their proper order. Now, for the other 99.9% .9 of us who may think we're workaholics and we truly don't work enough, right, we need to do this, and it's point number two. You need to improve your work ethic. Point number two is improve your work ethic. 
And I know all of us can say, I just work so hard. I work so, so hard. But if we were to follow each other around with a pen and a paper, and I wrote down start when you started working, and every time you stopped or got online or took a personal call or went to the restroom or took a snack or, or pull, you know, do whatever you, if I said stop and then start and stop, start and stop all throughout your day, and I added the times where you were actually working, what would I end up with? And all I'm saying is you being busy and you making yourself busy is completely different than being a diligent worker. It's a completely different thing than you saying, no, I'm, really, I'm pulling 70 hours a week. Well, minus when you're sitting at your desk and watching Netflix, right? Minus when you took that extra long lunch hour when you were out on the field, right? Minus the time where you actually weren't working. And what I'm saying is what we've got to do, biblically speaking, is pour out our lives into the work we're doing. And not just the things that we, we like. We have to improve our work ethic. Uh, I've been in school most of my life. Uh, I'm in a little break right now because we're planning this church, but when we get this thing... Uh, you know, I don't think, I don't know when that's going to be. When we get it going, right? When we're there and we're in our new facility in a couple weeks and things calm down, which I don't think is ever going to happen, uh, I'm going to go back and I'm going to finish my doctorate degree. I'm at the end of it. And so all that being said, I, for the better part of my life, I've been in school. And uh, I was not a great student, okay? Uh, elementary school, definitely not a great student. My second grade teacher, Miss Teagall, forgive me. Uh, I was in the office every single day. I got sent to the office every single day. Uh, and it's not because I did anything inherently like mean, but I just talked a lot. You, you, would you believe that? Okay. And uh, she called my mom, and my mom, who worked at the school, was like, listen, uh, he, he will love you, he cares, but he just can't stop talking. Like, he's like, if you, cannot send him to the, if you can send him to the office for everything but not talking, he'll be fine, uh, which is just disobedience, and they should have... We talked about that last week. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but the point was, is I, in elementary school, I wasn't a great student. I was an A, B, C, D student. Uh, I got into middle school, and it, was, it wasn't great either. Like, I'm an A, B, C, you know, I was an A, B, C student, but I wasn't really diligent, and I just tried to get through with work, uh, or with homework, with school. And then I got into high school, and high school is kind of where it changed a little bit, because freshman, sophomore year, also not a good student. Like, I mean, I, there were times I, did, I failed a math class for six weeks. Uh, there were times where, like, I barely passed history class, and I'm like, history is so easy. Right? It, never, it didn't change. It shouldn't. Anyway. Uh, and uh, I got to this point when I was 15 years, years old, and I became a Christian. At 15 years old is when I turned from my sins, I trusted in Christ, and I became a Christian. Well, things started changing there, because I went from a child with a 2.3 or 2.5 GPA, right, and I graduated with a 3.5 GPA. And the reason wasn't because I, I was just, you know, I, I think it was a spirit. I don't think I was a smart kid, but the Lord did that work. But the point was, is I learned that, okay, God has a purpose for me, and I need to be diligent in my work, okay? Uh, and then I became a college student. And here's the thing about my college. If you go to seminary, if you want to be a pastor, you know, or any, I guess, professional degree, you have to get an undergrad degree to go get a master's degree. So you don't just get to go get a master's degree. And so I understood, because God had called me into ministry, that I had to do well in my undergrad degree. If I did not get a good grade in my undergrad degree, they would not let me into seminary i.e., I couldn't go do what I believe God was calling me to do. So you better believe that I kicked it into high gear in college. I was making good grades in college. I hadn't passed a math class in, in years, and I literally passed a math class for the first time in my life. I still don't know how I did it, but I did it because I knew that there was something God's calling me to do, and I'm going to do whatever I have to do, even if it's terrible math, okay? I'm going to go pass math because I got a job to do, all right? And then I got into my master's degree, uh, and lo and behold, I barely ever made a B 
I was all, almost all A's and like one or two B's. And it was because I recognized that the work I was doing prepared me for this. It prepared me for counseling. It prepared me for leadership. It prepared me to be able to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so as I matured in my faith, my work ethic improved. And so my prayer and my expectation, the Bible's expectation for you, is as your uh, faith in Christ matures, your work ethic is going to mature. I don't know any mature Christians who are terrible workers. I don't. Right? I know diligent workers who are also diligent, mature Christians. And it's important for us, because even when I got into my doctorate degree, you couldn't even make a B. If you made a B, you failed in my doctorate degree. And so like A's were alone where it was. And you know what was great about that is God had prepared me all those years before to make sure I was diligent because there was no slacking in your doctoral degree. And all I'm saying is as Christians, uh, we should be slacking. Right? We should always be working to put our best grade forward. Like I'm always going to, no matter what it is, no matter if it's math or biology or no matter if I'm you know, working and doing the worst thing my boss wants me to do or my favorite part, I'm going for an A. I'm going for an A because I want to improve my work ethic because I recognize that who I'm working for isn't myself, isn't my boss, it's someone completely different. Uh, and I recognize that I need to invest in my eternity and improving my work ethic does that. Here's a reason why you should improve your work ethic. Uh, because if you believe your work is important to God, which if you're doing things that are legal, right, if you're doing things that are, that are, that are good, uh, which is hopefully everyone in here, uh, God cares about your work. And if it's important to God, it's important to me. So at the end of the day, what I have to at least agree to is if it's important to God, it's important to me. My work is important to God, so my work is important to me. And that means in, uh, in application, at least this, that your job description is not where your role ends. It's where it starts. Okay? You might need to write that down because that may be so helpful for some of you uh, who are going to work. Uh, that so many of us want to be the people who say, well, it's not in my job description. Anybody ever said that before? Don't raise your hand. Okay, uh, It's not my job description. I'm not doing it. Well, as a Christian, where my job description ends is where I start. That means all those things right there are without being said. Like, I do those things because that's, it's in my job description. But I am also have over and above that. I also have a reality that I'm not just here to do my job. I'm here to do the job that God wants me to do. And that isn't that I go force myself into places that my, bo that my boss doesn't want me to work. But what it is is, is, is this. It's this principle that I'm not telling people no just because it's not in my job description. It's the idea that I'm going to work hardly. I'm pouring myself out. And when I pour myself out, I'm going to recognize something, uh, that people are going to see the, the, what I'm doing, the grades I'm making in my work, and they're going to, they're going to need some help. They're going, to want, they're going to want a godly person with godly biblical work ethic to come alongside them. Great. Like, welcome to the gospel club, all right, where we get to go and we get to show people that our work ethic is directly connected to who we are in Christ. You need, we need a Bible verse, right? And we need something that teaches us, okay, what does this mean? Well, jot down Matthew 5.41. Just jot down Matthew 5.41. It says there, if anyone forces you to go one mile, only go that far, don't go any further. <laughs> no, no. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Right? We sum it up by saying, go the extra mile. Right? When, you're, when your boss says, when your boss hires you and says, here's your, here's your paperwork, here's your job description, sign off on that, uh, you don't get to hold that in your back pocket. And every time your boss tells you something you, that's not on there, you don't say, mm, right, not, here. not here. You see this? This is what you hired me for, not for that. No, you're going to say, I'm going to go the extra mile. Because I understand that my stewardship from God is God's stewardship, not what you wrote for me to do here. Like, I recognize that I've got a job, and I'm going to go the extra mile. 
I'm going to improve my work ethic. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to work long. I'm going to, I'm going to go to bed tired, and I'm going to wake up early. Because that's just what it means to be a believer who has a biblical work ethic. I can go the extra mile, and I can work in undesirable situations if I keep one thing in mind. And this, I want you to pay attention here. If you keep one thing in mind, you're going to be able to go the extra mile. You're going to be able to work hard. You're going to be able to do all the things that right now you may think I can't do uh, if you do this one thing. And it's starting in verse 22, beginning of verse 22. It says bond servants. All right, well, let's, let's take a time here. Uh, the uh, ESV, or at least the, the most updated uh, ESV, that is, the scholars got together every time they, they try to go through. The English language is uh, dynamic, you recognize. Uh, you use words like cool, and it used to mean uh, the AC was on. Now it means you're, you're great. Okay, So we understand that we have to use words that help us understand the words that we've written in Greek. So we have bond servants here. Well, in the Greek, bond servant is the word doulos, okay? which translates literally to slave. Okay? Uh, the ESV did a good job in the, in the, recent, uh, the recent publication uh, because it did this exegetical work that we all have to do in all Greek words. And that is this, that the word doulos means slave. Okay, great. And that is truly what it means. But the problem is, is you and I that live here, we have one understanding of slavery, don't we? One slavery, and it's colonial slavery. Right? You and I have a very narrow definition of what slavery is. It's narrow in its definition, not in its application, because colonial slavery is all throughout the South, Central South America, but that's what you grew up learning. Right? That is the only slavery that you've ever grown up knowing. So the ESV, as their, uh, as their group got together, they said, okay, uh, that's not what the Greek text is meaning. Because as a matter of fact, uh, if you want to know more and more about this, Pastor Evan and I actually do an, a Compass Equip podcast. We release it every Sunday night. We have already taken this topic on slavery and made it a half an hour installment. So we can teach you guys, here's what they mean by slavery. Here's other ways, here's other, uh, here's not other perspectives. Here's what slavery looked like in Roman times under, under uh, the emperor and in that culture. Uh, and so all that being said, the ESV actually did all the hard work for us. Because we have to understand, okay, well, if it's not you know, uh, slavery that we know colonially, which we understand the, Bibli- the Bible condemns, uh, you read in Scripture, I believe in 1 Timothy, there's a list of things that are abhorable to God and the punishment of God is going to be poured out on. And you know one of the words in there is enslaver, right? Enslaver, that is someone who stole someone and put them under their control. Uh, that, is, yeah, that is condemned in Scripture and the wrath of God gets poured out on those people. So that takes out your whole idea of colonial slavery because that's how that happened. Now, being said, okay, then what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about being a bondservant, right? That is this word translated bondservant, and it's this. It's someone in the Roman Empire, right, who uh, bound themselves under contract to serve a master for seven years. So it's contractual work agreement. Now, it is uh, somebody who said, for seven years, I'm going to work for you. You own me. You own my skills. Now, here was a responsibility. There was a lot of ethics there. Uh, but there was a, the main responsibility was this, that a bond servant worked for their master for seven years. Unless you worked for the emperor, then you worked 14 years. Now, during that time, the master paid you but didn't give you the money. They paid you a, a rate and then they kept it. Okay? After seven years, when your contractual obligation was up, 
They set you free, gave you the money that they've held back for you, and you are now a freed person. Contractual obligation, bond, servant, right? You are a type of slave. Now, in the Roman times, there were lots of different kinds of slaves, and that's why you have to contextually, and you'll see this in a lot of your New Testament translations, there's a lot of different nuances in slavery in the first century. You've learned one in in school, but there are a lot more throughout history. And so the one we're talking about here is bond servant. All right, do we, we, we got... We're over back here now. We got to know that though, if we're going to trust in the reliability of Scripture, right? We don't want a God. Uh, well, no, we don't want to go. God is who He is, but we got to understand that we do have a God uh, who is just and perfect. We do have a God who says no to enslaving people and stealing people, right? Uh, but we do understand that that's not what this is talking about. So, with that being said, we understand that bond servants, uh, although. Uh, that kind of slavery was not as atrocious, right, as colonial slavery. It still isn't anything to, to write home about, right? You're not going to write home to mom, hey, guess what I became today? Bondservant, right? No one, like, no one still wanted to be a bondservant. It wasn't a glorifying task. It wasn't something that you just loved doing. You did it because you had to. You did it because you needed to care for your family. You did it because you needed to make ends meet. And so they did this. It wasn't a, a position to boast about. But at the end of the day, the bondservant was this. Uh, they had to do their work that they were called to do, just like we are, right? Contractually, you and I have a lot of obligations contractually in our own jobs. We have to work heartily. And we understand that our work is done not in fear of man. More to say, but it says here that there's a way that we ought to fear, and it's not the fear of man. Uh, It's in verse 22. Look at verse 22. It says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, right? I'm working for the Lord. I'm fearing the Lord. It says in verse 22, right there, sincerity of heart, I'm fearing the Lord. So I understand that my responsibility as a worker is to fear God. Why? Why should I fear God in my work? Because if you have a proper reverence and a proper awe for who God is, it's going to mold and color your own work ethic, right? I mean, if you have an awe and a fear of God, it's going to change the way that you work. Okay, for instance, uh, you walk into the office every day and the corner office said God on it. Okay, Uh, and then you go back and you sit in your cubicle and you start working. Uh, It's quite a bit different, isn't it, when I think God's in the front office, you know, commanding my day and not the boss. Okay. And why else do I need a fear of God? Well, I have three throne room scenes in Scripture, right? Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Revelation, right? You have these three really, really holy people before the throne room of God. And what did they all do? They all fell down, prostrate on their face, didn't they? Okay, that's the three of the most holy people I can think of just off the top of my head, uh, right? And so I'm not ever going to suggest that I'm in the top three of the most holy people in the world, right? And you probably wouldn't either. So if those guys are doing it, what do you think we're going to do when we stand before God? Then we're going to tell him, hey, God, remember when you made me do that one thing? Mm, didn't like that, okay? I'm going, to, I'm, not, I'm going to change that. No, you wouldn't. You're going to fall before the face of God uh, because of his majesty and his holiness and his awe. And you're going to have a reference and awe for God. And even if you think you don't have a reverence and awe for God, when you behold his majesty, you will quickly have an awe and a reverence for God. And so if I can put that into the here and now and say, you know what? I know, I know that's who God is. I know that's who he is and that's how he's, who he's always been. I'm then going to walk into my office. And although God's office isn't in the front of my building, it really is, right? Because when I wake up in the morning, I understand that I'm not fearing man. I'm fearing the Lord. And I'm not going to work as though I'm working for man. I'm going to work, as verse 23 says, as for the Lord and not for man, And I know now, because my heavenly boss, that is God, he's perfect, he's holy, and he's just, guess what I'm no longer going to do? I can no longer validate my work by comparing my work to my coworkers who slack off all week. 
right? I can now no longer go to my boss and say, hey, man, I know I'm not the best you got, but I'm not, not the worst you got. Look at those people over there, okay? Uh, instead, now you have this holy, perfect, just God who has called us to faithfulness in our work, and we're going to stand before God, and we're going to give an account to our work. And so now we have this God who's, who says, you know what? Uh, I, I, yeah, I died because of your sinfulness and your slothfulness and your laziness, and I've given you my, my Holy Spirit to empower you to do the work that you're called to do. There is no excuse for you not doing the work that I've called you to do. There's no excuse whatsoever. And so I'm going to make sure, because I know who my real boss is, uh, that I'm going to not try to validate my slacking off with excuses. I'm going to work hard as for the Lord. I'm working for God. I'm not working for man. Right? When I walk into my office every day, I'm going to just assume, because it is true, that God's my boss, that he's asking me to do all the things that I'm try- I'm, I've been asked to do. Right? And, it's, and it's really what Ephesians 2.10 is all about. Right? Ephesians 2.10 is all about this idea that I am created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared, not your boss, right? not you. Like You've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works, and God had prepared them beforehand. Before you were ever even thought of, God had everything that he wanted you to do set in front of you, and what you had to do was walk in them, not create them, not imagine them. They're already there. God has already got a job description for you. God has already had your work ahead of you, and all you're doing is walking in that work. And that's when you've been created in Christ Jesus for that. Right? It's not just, oh, and I do this. You've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. I mean, and that, that, I want that to blow your mind a little bit because you need to think, you're not in, you weren't created in Christ Jesus just to float around in eternity and say, I did it. We're here. We're all doing it. We're just floating. No, like, you've been created to do something, to produce for the Lord, right? to, to work for him. And he's prepared these things for you so you get to walk in them. That's exciting stuff here. Right? So I can be assured, and this is why that verse is important, because I can be assured that every good work I can do in my job has been curated by God for my life to glorify him. Every single thing I'm asked to do every single day and every single thing that is on my, my, my table and my calendar for the day, I know has been picked out and curated by God that I would walk in those things and produce for the Lord. And if we're going to do all those things, we just got to remember this, and it's point number three. You need to remember you're working for God. Point number three, remember you're working for God. I'm really passionate about this, guys, because so many of us are just not convinced who we're working for. So many of us are convinced that we're working to, for a paycheck, that we're working for retirement. I'm like, that's a small view. That's a short-term view of things. Like, we got to see that we're working for God here, and God's got a plan. And God is, is not only is he creator of the universe, and not only has God got all these good works that he's had planned beforehand that we should walk in them, he's trying to do something. He is trying to use your life, your witness, your testimony, and your job to reach people for himself, to draw people to himself through your witness. That is why Scripture calls us ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. God making his appeal through us. So who's God trying to win people through? You and me. And so it's like, if I don't go to work, and I'm, if I'm not a diligent worker, if I'm not somebody people even look up to, why would we be somebody people want to imitate their faith through? We, we wouldn't. Like, God wants us to be his ambassadors, and that definitely means that we're his laborers. And we need to remember, at the end of the day, we're working for God. A good scripture to jot down would be 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 9 through 10. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10. And Paul is telling the church in Corinth this. So whether we're at home or away, here's our job. We make it our aim to please him. Who? God, right? 
we, our aim in our life is to please him. I'm remembering that God's the boss. God's the one I'm working for. I'm pleasing him, not myself, not, not my earthly boss. I'm here to please the Lord God. And guess what? When I'm trying to please my heavenly father, a lot of time it will please my earthly boss, right? I hope that doesn't rub you wrong because you don't like your boss. I'm saying when you do the work for the Lord, you know who's going to benefit? Whatever company you're working for. Do you remember when uh, the uh, Israelites were, were enslaved in Egypt? What happened in Egypt? It flourished, didn't it? When, when the Israelites were in captivity in Egypt, Egypt flourished. Great. Well, I'm sure that I know for a fact, right? Israel wasn't just enamored. I love this. This is my favorite thing ever. No. But what they did is they worked for the Lord as they were working for the Lord, and God blessed even the Egyptians. And what I'm saying is you working hard is going to bless your boss, but you're not doing it for him. You're doing it to please the Lord. And hopefully, prayerfully, you could win your boss because he sees your diligence and recognizes that you work for God. And here's, at the end of the day, I always say that, but here's what we need to look at. Verse 10. Fundamentally, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. There's that good thing, right? Uh, maybe I said it in nine, not this one. There are, there are two judgments that are going to take place, right? There's this, this, this seat of judgment that I'm going to have, which is the, the judgment of Christ, which all Christians are going to stand before, right? And there's going to be the white throne judgment, right? Which is uh, this judgment of wrath that God's going to pour out on all those who are not in him, okay? Uh, and we're all going to appear before the judgment seat, that is all Christians, so that each may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. That should qualify what we're talking about here. You've got to understand there's two judgments, because people who have the wrath of God poured out in them are not going to receive good. We understand that, right? It says right here that you're going to have good or evil, okay? Well, if you're in that judgment, there is no good being poured out on you. But there is, in the judgment seat of Christ, uh, all Christians are going to stand before the Lord, and we're going to receive what is due for what we have done in the body. That means the real things that you and I are doing every single day, we're going to stand before God, right? Uh, It's all going to be thrown into the fire. We're going to learn that in your life group, and it's going to be burned. And uh, you're going to receive the good, right? You're going to receive the blessings, uh, and you're going to understand there's going to be a payment for the evil, right? The payment for the evil. Uh, it'd be like you, you, you built this ginormous thing and you threw it in the fire and you took all your life and you invested in it. Uh, and then it gets burned up and like 90% of it gets burned up, right? And you're going to get 10% of it. Uh, and so you're really going to mourn over the bit of loss, right? Because you're like, I worked my whole life and I only got 10% of what I put into it. Yes, that is the loss, right? That is like, man, I wish I would have invested more of my life in heavenly things and not earthly things. And that's why right now it's a great lesson to say, why don't we start building this thing with precious stones so when it does get thrown into the fire at this judgment with Christ, uh, it's, some stuff is going to get burned. None of us are perfect. We're not all getting 100% back when it gets thrown into the fire. But what we're going to receive is going to be a lot more than what we could have if we didn't take this message to heart. And so I get to realize that this, that when I am at the judgment seat of Christ, he's the boss, I'm pleasing him, and so all the work that I do is to please him so that at the judgment I can receive what is due for what I have done in the body. There's going to be things that I've done bad. Okay, great, it's going to get burned up. I'm going to suffer it as loss, but at the end of the day, there's going to be a lot of good that God, that I'm rewarded with because of my faithfulness. See, that's really good news, isn't it? I mean, it's really good news to have a biblical work ethic and knowing that here's what's going to happen when I stand before God. And so if we know all of those things, we need to know that we need to get dressed for work every day, right? And as I close, uh, I want you to think uh, this way. Uh, my dad, my stepdad, uh, very, he worked hard throughout my life, uh, and he often worked for jobs where he had to have a uniform, 
Okay, I don't have to wear a uniform. My dad did, uh, and he had a closet that looked like a cartoon where, where you, like, you see all the same changes of clothes for like five weeks. Okay, And he took them, and he put them on. And he could not show up to work without his work clothes on. As a matter of fact, if he did, they'd send him home because he wasn't ready for work. He had to wear the clothes that he was assigned. And I'm afraid too many Christians uh, show up to work not clothed in the proper attire. And that's why I want to turn you uh, to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 13. Right? We have to make sure that if we're going to be diligent workers, if we're going to be investing in our eternity, if we're going to try to improve our work ethic, uh, and if we're going to remember who we're working for, we need to put on the clothes of the company that we truly work for, and that's God's. Uh, and there in Ephesians 6, 13 through 17, it says this, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so there's, there's, our, there's, our, uh, there's our outfit, right? There's our, uh, our clothes that we've been assigned. We have to take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the day of evil and having done all to stand firm. That's this. Some of you go to work and like, like every day is evil. Like so-and-so doesn't like me. So-and-so yells at me. This person makes fun of me. Uh, I don't get along with this person. Well, great. When you put on the whole armor of God, you're able to withstand that day, that evil day, having done all to stand firm. Like God's got... A wardrobe. God's got a uniform he wants you to wear so that you can, every single day, do all you can to stand firm. And here's what we're going to do. Verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. When you go to work, you need the belt of truth. You need truth, right? You're going to go to work and you're saying, I'm not going to be a liar. I'm not going to be deceiving. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be truthful. I'm going to have integrity. I'm going to make sure when I go to work, uh, my word is my word, that the Bible says my yes is a yes and my no is a no. I'm going to have truth that comes out of my life. I'm going to be integrous in all my actions and all of my dealings. And I'm going to put on, after my fast in the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. That is, I've got to wake up every morning and say, today I'm going to live a righteous life. That I know my righteousness is in Christ. He's indwelt me with his spirit to produce what? Righteousness, right? To produce righteousness in me that is not of my own. Just because it isn't my own doesn't mean I'm not doing it. And so I am then going to make sure that every day I'm going to work and I'm living a righteous life. All right, that means this. I'm not going to go to work and be a different person at work than I am at home. That means I'm not going to go to church and be different at church than I am at work. Right? You're going to live a righteous life, and you're going to live the same godly life that you're living right here at work. So I'm going I'm to have both of those things. And I'm going to continue getting dressed by verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Okay, if you've never taken the gospel to work, you've never gotten dressed. If, you've, if, you're, if the gospel that you say you believe in has never gone to work with you, you've never been dressed for work in the Lord's eyes. Because if my work uh, is for the Lord, and the will of the Lord is that all people would come to know him, and if I've never taken him to work to, for people to get to know him, I've never done the work of the Lord. Did we follow that progression? Okay, I've got to make sure that I'm putting on the gospel on my feet. I mean, I don't go to work without shoes. You can't even go to the store without shoes. Okay, don't go to work without the shoes of the gospel. You got to make sure that every situation and opportunity you find yourself in throughout the day can lead to a gospel conversation. I'm not saying that every single conversation that you have better turn into the salvation of somebody in that room, but I'm saying the righteousness you live by, the truth that you live by, and the biblical knowledge you have should lead to plenty of them. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. That is, I'm going to be a faithful Christian. I'm going to understand my faith, and I've got to take it up every day, right? I'm going to take up my cross, I'm going to deny myself, and I'm going to follow Christ. That is my faith, that every day I'm walking in that, and I'm trusting in that. 
with which, that kind of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. That is, Satan's going to try to make your day, right? Anybody, has Satan ever ruined anyone's day? Okay, good. Yeah, me too. Okay. And what I understand about this is what I have left is my faith. Right? People are going to disappoint me. My job's going to disappoint me. I'm going to disappoint me. But God's not going to disappoint me. God is true. And the faith that he has given me, that he is trying to create in me and sustain in me, is going to be the kind of faith that although Satan is trying to go after me in a million different ways, I have a faith that is firm and steadfast. And I'm going to take the helmet of salvation. That is my, my salvation. That is the fact that there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is, therefore, I know that now that my acceptance is in Christ. I've been clothed and imputed the righteousness of Christ. And I know that I am acceptable before God through Christ. That, you know, welcome to work. Like, you got to go to work and you're not approved by man. You're approved by God. And so that should be where your fear comes from. That should also be where your joy comes from because you can go to work knowing that you've been approved by God. And I'm going to go work for the Lord because I am his and he is mine. And then finally, I'm going to take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Right? I'm going to take God's words. It's going to be in my mind. It's going to be in my heart. It's going to be in my hand. It's going to be on my phone. And I'm going to make sure that the word of God is evident in my life at work. If you've never taken your Bible to work, if you've never been praying before you go into a meeting, not for your will, not so you don't get yelled at because you're being lazy right, by your boss, but you're praying for God's will. Right? You're praying for a desire to see people saved in your workplace. And that's what we want to do is that we're going to wake up every day and we're going to put on my work clothes. And I'm going to put on my belt and I'm going to put on my, my breastplate. I'm going to put on the right, righteousness, truth, gospel, my faith, salvation, and the word of God. I'm going to put on everything. I'm going to put on all the shoes. I'm going to put on all the garbs that I need to to go and work for the Lord. And I promise you if we do that, if we just use the tools that God has given you so that you can fully embrace your work to the glory of God, uh, God will be lifted high. Your life will be purposeful, and it will be rewarded in eternity. And that's the truth and the hope that we can look forward to as diligent workers. Let's pray. God, it's important for us, and I just continue praying, that we would go to your word uh, to seek out the truth of your word, that we can uh, learn how to have a biblical work ethic, God, that does produce uh, rewards here and in eternity. But God, we need to understand that our investment, God, and help us do that, please, is that our investment is eternal. God, that we want to work hard here uh, because you're the boss, uh, because we're working for you, not for ourselves, not for uh, the company, God, but for you. So God, help us as we embark on being hard workers for you, as we embark on living this biblical work ethic. And God, help us uh, just with great joy uh, and eager expectation, be longing uh, as you're building uh, your kingdom, as you're building this, this new heaven and this new earth and this new Jerusalem, and we get, to, we get to invest in that, knowing that that's where we're going. And God, as we know that where we're going is so much better than where we are, God, help us still live in this here and now, uh, God, not being uh, upset because of the short-term losses, but looking forward to these long-term gains, uh, and that, God, as we go into your presence, we have a trail of, uh, of goodness, a trail of, of people who have turned from their sins and trusted in you because of our faithfulness following us there. God, what a glorious picture of the day of the Lord that we all get to be in your presence worshiping you. And we pray these things, that you would help us do these things. And we pray them in Christ's name. Amen.